The Athletic. Hello everybody, it's Reese Porter here and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast. the Fulhamish podcast, your independent voice of Fulham SC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK. And today we're going to be reviewing Wednesday night's 3-1 win over Swansea City. It was a routine win, but Fulham haven't been routine lately. So it's very, very nice to say that a first half hat-trick from Mitrovic. 10 games, 10 goals for the Serbian striker. He certainly, certainly is on fire. And it is the Thursday club, so I'm joined by The Athletic's Fulham writer Peter Rutzler. Hey, Sammy, how you doing? Fine, thank you. And not Jack Collins today, but deputising for him is Drew Heatley. Hello, Drew. Hello, big shoes to fill. Oh, it's great to have you on, Drew. You are a sporadic contributor to the podcast, but whenever you're on, it's always top quality. You're like Terence Congolo. You know, you don't come very often, but when we see you, it's absolutely magnificent. Hopefully I don't pull a hammy. Yeah, yeah, no. Hopefully your injury record is a little bit better than uh, than Terence Congola. We might come on to him uh, a little bit later. Uh, before we get into the game then, Drew, you were looking through some of the three-word reviews. What have you got? Yeah, um, there's no surprise uh, who centres around uh, most of these three-word reviews today. Um, we've got on Twitter, Brett Rowlands with Match Ball for Mitro, which is lovely. Um, Lars Anderson, uh, Magical Mitrovic Tour. Uh, I love a, I love it when the syllables work out. So yeah. that one got in. Uh, and then over on Instagram, Aid Robbins with simply 10 in 10. And uh, one I did enjoy as well was Alistair Nemo with Grimes and Punishment, alluding to the man who nearly, or allegedly nearly joined the Whites in the summer and ended up on the wrong end of, uh, of the victory for us yesterday. Penny for Matt Grimes' thoughts last night. He must have been thinking, oh, I could have joined. It was not like he turned us down, to be fair. He would have loved to have, have come to Fulham. But yeah, he must have been thinking last night. I don't know if I've quite got the the deal I wanted out out of this. Um, Peter, as I alluded to in the intro, Fulham have been far from routine since the international break of last. Yes, there was the impressive win at Birmingham, but even that didn't feel routine in, in lots of ways. Last night was one of those championship evenings. Fairly simple. Didn't all go our way, but you felt pretty confident from the first whistle that we were getting three points in this one. Yeah, it was a really strong start. Um, and, and normally that sets the tone. I think when in some of the games in this sort of wobble, as you, as you referred to, uh, have unfolded, you could sort of tell from the start of the games what direction they were going because of the tempo, I'm thinking of Bristol City, a um, bit of Reading uh, and, of course, Blackpool. Um, but yeah, last night was a really good start and, and much more efficient than we saw at Ashton Gate. You know, that was, that was a big problem, really, particularly in the second half just not taking chances. And, and Mitch Fitch was on it last night. Um, four shots, three goals. I think he had nine attempts on, on Saturday. So quite a, quite a good way to respond, really, um, from, from, from the front man. And he makes such a difference when, when, when you can put away those, those opportunities. And, and it, 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 it helps. And, you know, it's, with Fulham in this sort of period, we, we've sort of seen where they're very good, which is, you know, when, when they have those spaces in behind, when, Teams come at them when they can break, and when they've been not so good is when they drop their tempo. And I, I still think there's that there's two sides to them um, that we've sort of unveiled in this period, and I think they can try and, and just replicate performances last like last night uh, on a more consistent basis. Then we will see Fulham 
pushing into those top two places and, and potentially pulling away. And, and that's that's the only real criticism at the moment. And, and even in those games where they have dropped points, they have created a lot of chances. And, and, and that's been really, really quite encouraging. So I think one one other thing to mention about last night was, I think after Bristol City, it felt like they couldn't grind out the win. You know, they didn't really have that edge to them where they could, you know, when things aren't going quite right, they weren't able to push themselves to get the win. But, you know, last night was was exactly that. They they faced adversity. Joe Bryan goes off. They have to switch to a back three. Bobby Decker would read a left wing back. Um, and they were able to see out the second half pretty comfortably despite Swansea's pressure. And I, I think that's actually really quite encouraging. Drew, it felt like Swansea was a tailor-made opponent for us last night. Um, I know that Dan on the podcast and also Joe on the Jack and Joe show that we do on YouTube were both like so confident that Fulham would win this game. They've seen Swansea play this season. They've, they they, they analysed it, but it, it, it felt kind of alien. And Dan was saying he kind of had a bit of an inner turmoil trying to say that Fulham will win this game. You know, from every metric that you've got, the way that Swansea play, they would come and try and play football, but Fulham will play football better than Swansea and it it just completely bored out last night it was you might as well I mean I don't think you'd have got very good odds on a, on a Fulham win but it, it it just seemed from the first whistle that yeah here's an opponent that Fulham will just out football Swansea were quite tidy in periods and and, and maybe are a side that will grow in the future and and Russell Martin obviously likes to play football the right way and I always think Swansea historically should play good football. You know, we've, we've seen a lot of Swansea great teams in the past, um, but Fulham just had a bit too much for them last night. I, I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I was never worried at all. No, it was uh, one of those ones where the fixture gods were quite kind because we really needed, we really needed a game like that last night after, you know, it was turning in, it, the blip was looking like it could threaten to be something more. And I think exactly right. Having a team like Swansea, who really were the perfect foil for us uh, to have that come up last night was, was really great. And, you know, I, I thought they were quite good in places and, and to look at the table and see that they're 19th, I was, I was quite surprised. Um, I, I hadn't seen them play this season, but you know, you know what you're going to get with most Swansea sides for the last sort of decade, at least. And, so I was uh, I was seeing what Dan and Joe were saying and I, and I was sort of on board with it. And last night you could tell, yeah, it never felt uncomfortable, even though at times, you know, we were, uh, when they scored uh, their goal in the first half, you could see there was sort of a little bit of panic setting in nearly, just get your foot on the ball and calm it down a little bit. But after that, there was never really any sort of doubt that we were going to get the three points. Um, and yeah, one of those things, routine victory that you say, uh, we don't get them often at Fulham, uh, but uh, we certainly got it last night, which is, uh, which is a joy, really. Um, Peter, the first 15 minutes were dominated by two refereeing decisions. Both, I think, were wrong, but ultimately I think the outcome was equal. You've got uh, Wilson's non-penalty that wasn't given. I thought from the Hammersmith end, admittedly I'm the wrong end of the pitch, but I thought that was a stone wall and I've seen it back and I still think that that's a penalty. But then Mitrovic is quite clearly offside for, for their opener. And I guess you can also throw it back to Saturday where Fulham conceded a completely offside opener. These things do tend to come around. Sometimes it's quicker than you think. Sometimes it's in a match. Sometimes it's the next match. But in a league that doesn't have VAR, it does feel like all these things will balance out in the end. Yeah, it's a nice, it's nice that there was an instant sort of retribution for that with Mitrovic's first goal. He, he was definitely offside. It? it was another one a bit like the Bristol City offside where you're, you're looking at the lines and thinking, oh, not really too sure how you've not seen that really. Um, of course, he's got. I think it's Cabango who's, who's, who's 
foot sort of out, but he's the other side of Mitrovic. So um, you'd think he'd go the other way, but you know, no one's complaining. Not 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 after um, not after Saturday um, and Casey Palmer's goal, and yeah, and then the penalty as well. It's it's my first view of it wasn't that it wasn't a penalty because Wilson. It does, I don't want to say go down goes down easily, but you know there was a, there was some contact there, and I thought, well, maybe, is that a penalty? Then you watch your back, and it's like, well, yeah, probably is. And I, I think it might have been one of those where if we were in a in the Premier League and it's and there's VAR, it's not one that's going to get overturned whichever way the decision goes. Um, but yeah, and I, I think that's what we just have to get used to in the Championship without without that um, that sideline support. And um, Silver actually said uh, before the game. That he would be in favour of that he is in favour of VAR generally, but that he would that he sees it potentially coming to the championship at some point as well. Um, hopefully, uh, he will uh, <laughs> maybe temper that after uh, um, after seeing Mitrovic's goal. Um, but you know, as you say, Sammy, it, they they go in swings and roundabouts, and it it reflected Fulham's really really fast start, and and you know, it was a great header from Tim Ream as well. I must mention that to keep the ball alive, to keep it keep it uh, active in, in, inside the penalty area and a very good turn too from Mitrovic really composed you know him at him at his ice call be- ice call best to I think it's Carl Norton he sends um slide in the wrong way before or drilling it home and um it really set the time yeah yeah I'm 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 just doing a little bit of a deep dive to see uh, how many assists Tim Ream has for Fulham I'm gonna guess you can count it on one hand I can think of two goals that Tim Ream has got I can't remember too many Tim Ream assists so uh stay tuned for the end of the podcast once Sammy's done a deep dive into into transfer marks to find that one uh, and then yeah Drew from, from that moment that Fulham got themselves in front um it was more kind of routine stuff. The second goal for me was the was the really, really impressive one. I thought it was a great move. Kind of a bit of a scuffed finish from Mitrovic. I'm not being critical here because it worked absolutely perfectly and it caught Hamer in the Swansea goal out, but it was just a really, really nice move. And, and, and at 2-0, I guess the only surprise for me was that actually it wasn't more comfortable because not too long after Swansea did get one back. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was great for Cabano as well, who had a really good game yesterday. And we've got a piece up on the Fulhamish website today from Jack Stradley about the role that Cabana can play, particularly on that left-hand side this season. And um, it was really good to see him sort of mark that performance with an assist. But yeah, the, the finish from Mitrovic, it seemed to trickle into the net, it seemed to take forever to get in there, although you always knew it was going in. So, you know, you're up celebrating before it's even in the net. But um, you saw later on in the game, there was a chance from Dennis Adoy. He hit it so true that it hits, it goes straight at the keeper. But if he scuffs that in any way, shape or form, that's a goal. So sometimes, you know, lacing it or hitting it sweetly on the side foot is not always the way to go. I think Mitrovic was uh, was aided there by the sort of almost mishit of, of that of that for that second. Um, but it was, it was a good one to see. I think uh, conceding, you know, five minutes later... Uh, was a, it was a real pain. It was a real defence splitting pass for a start from Swansea. That was the first issue. But then, uh, then you have the question marks over Gazaniga going, hesitating going, and then uh, you know it, there's only Tim Ream left as the last line of defence. And I can remember a few years ago, we'll probably show him probably about a decade ago now, where it happened against United. I think Paul Scholes just put his hands up and saved it. You know, you're looking at Tim Ream, you're thinking, well, there's nothing you can do now. It's all been a bit of a bit of a shit show from start to finish until it got to him uh, so it was a shame mm. to do it was a shame to do that and I think 
was talking to my brother in the stands and it's like, will we, you know, consistently keep clean sheets with Gazaniga in goal? And I say that not pointing the finger hugely, because as I say, there was a few things that went wrong before uh, him. But it's difficult because you come into the club, if you come into a club having never really established yourself as a number one at any club and you go straight in, you're not going to, especially when you've got a fan favourite like Rodak on the bench, you're not going to have a huge amount of credit in the bank if you're Paolo Gazzaniga. Uh, And there's always been sort of half blames laid at his door for certain things and it's never been a real calamitous error, but there's always been question marks when, uh, when we can see some of the few goals that we have done so far this season. So I don't know, I'm just asking the question, but there always seems to be a sort of thing where, you know, have a good performance, but we don't have that clean sheet. I think we did it against Stoke and Hull and maybe, and that was, that was about it from memory. Well, so it's an interesting. Yeah, one. we haven't I kept uh, in the league. We haven't kept a clean sheet since the 28th of August. Obviously you had Blackpool, Birmingham, uh, Reading, Bristol and, and Swansea. The only clean sheet we've kept was was against Leeds in the cup. And, and I'm not trying to make a comparison here because I know who obviously played in that game. And I'm not trying to say that there's only one reason <laughs> behind that. But Peter, we we do just seem to have a goal conceded in us per game. And, and, and that must be frustrating, Marcus Silva, because I think the defence has been highly impressive. Uh, and, and a couple of those goals, look, the, the Birmingham goal was a complete consolation for them and, and a bit of a silly penalty to give away, but still just lingering. It, it's going to make life harder. It means that Fulham do need to get two or three and we're capable of it most weeks, but you saw against Bristol, we have a bit of an off day. We can see the goal more often than not, you're going to get caught out and you're going to chalk away at that little tally that you drew up at the beginning of the season of how many games we can afford to not win. Well, exactly. Yeah. I'm just trying to think back through the games because they have, there have been goals conceded and I, I, for me, it's, it's definitely a style thing in, in one sense. You know, I, I think back to Silver's Everton teams and, and before, and they generally had that sort of vulnerability because of the way they attack, because of the numbers that Silver wants his players to to commit forward. And I'm trying. I don't think. I think, as Drew was saying, you know, there's not been a goal where you can sort of land it at Gatsaniga's door and say this is entirely your fault. Um, at least in this period. Um, I mean, the, the goal last night maybe I just I think Silva was particularly unhappy with his two midfielders I think with Reed and, and Seri for, for the space they allowed in between the lines and Tosin then commits forward Peru turns in brilliantly and suddenly Patterson's got acres it was quite a well-worked goal and then you've got Dennis Adoy flying into Gatsaniga as he's he's taken his set position so it's it's, it's a tricky one um, but then I think to Birmingham they had a brilliant game at Birmingham because Bristol City made two brilliant saves before the offside goal goes in Um so it's a tough one, and we've talked about it a few times, I think, with, with Rodak, because Rodak has that currency in the bank. We know he can do it at this level. We know he's very good. It's not like last year with Ariola. You know, Ariola came in. He still had to prove himself. Everyone was a bit unhappy about it, but it didn't take long. We could all see that he was a world-class goalkeeper. Um, Gassaniga doesn't have that distance between himself and, and Rodak. Um, and, and for me, the, the question is kind of a longer-term one, because... Rodak's a younger keeper. There's more years in him. He's an academy product. And you, you think at some point that it might turn that, that Rodak will get his opportunity and he should probably get his opportunity just because of that, because of the long-term element to it, because I don't think Gatsaniga is that far ahead of him. I think the one area that probably worries most is from crosses and his command of the penalty area. That's where you get nervous. There was a cross at late in the game against Swansea where he came and missed it. He had a couple of moments like that where it's just a bit shaky. His distribution's okay. Sometimes you'll make the, uh, the inerrant pass that goes, that goes awry. It's, it's, it's a tricky one. And I, I always go back to 
the fact that they've got Hugo Oliveira as a keeper coach um, because of his experience, you know, working with Edison and Jan Black and uh, Julian Cesar and, um, and and he's going to know a good keeper when he sees one. So it's a, it's a difficult one, but I, for me, I don't think that the distance between the two is, is great enough like there was with Ariola to be like, yeah, you know, a guy at Zuniga should be out and out number one. But again, it's not like you can say performance-wise, he's been terrible. He's, you know, so, um, but we'll see. We'll see. I think, I, I do think there's a stylistic element to, to to the way Fulham play and what that allows other teams to do. I think it's a, it is a concern. Um, you shouldn't, you don't really want to be always relying on two goals, um, two, three goals to, to, to win games, but we've seen that Fulham are capable of doing that. So it sort of, you know, peaks and troughs a little bit. In general, yeah. the XG's been good. Defensive stats have been pretty good. Um, some of the goals have been quite good that they've conceded. They're high quality. Uh, I'd probably put Swansea goal in that bracket. The Reading goals were very good. Um, Bristol CC was offside. So, yeah, it's it, it's, a, it's definitely a balance. And I think Fulham could work more on that. I think we know they're attacking threat. And, um, but it's, it's, not, it's not causing alarm bells, I think, just yet. No, no. I have found the the uh, the stats on Tim Ream. He has made one assist before for Fulham, and it's in 2016, April the fifth, 2016, away at Preston. Uh, he assisted uh, Ross McCormack's opener. So the only the second assist for for Tim Ream. So my transfer marks deep dive has has worked. I cannot remember that goal for love nor money. Has to have uh, been off his head, surely. You'd imagine so. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm, uh, my next thing is to to find a video of the goal, and <laughs> I will YouTube, I will let yeah. you know. It's going to be the running theme. Is just where else was the Tim Ream assist? Um, but of course, Drew, we don't always have to worry too much about scoring goals. I can't believe it's taken this long to properly mention him in the podcast because we have a certain Serbian striker named Alexander Mitrovic who. Um, got his third. I thought it was my, it was my favorite goal of the game. Um, I just thought it was brilliant build up. Loved Adoy's early cross into the box from right back. Adoy loves doing that. It's such a, it's such a lethal weapon when Adoy doesn't always decide to go to the byline. He whips in that early ball and the run from Mitrovic to, to get ahead of his marker was just fantastic. And yeah, um, 10 games in and we've got a hat trick for Mitro and he's, uh, and he's 10 and 10 and the Hammersmith end singing Mitro's on fire and uh, free from desire is, is going around the whole ground. It's, 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 it's classic Fulham and it seems that we love to see. Yeah. And you know, we've seen, we've seen Mitrovic both sides of him. We've seen the feast and the famine in recent years and, and it really is the feast at the moment. But when it, when it is, when it has been fallow periods, we've said, you know, he's not, he's not getting that service. And I tell you what, he was getting it left, right and centre last night. There were some of the balls into the box all evening were just, were fantastic and typified by, by O'Doy's for the third, as you say. Um, and it's just, it's just wonderful to see him enjoying himself. And he's, it's, it's a funny one. Where does he sit? He's not, he's not in the Huckabee vortex. He's above that. He's, He's sort of like above that and he's above the Earnshaw vortex. I don't know where he sits. I'd love to see him in the Premier League with some of the service that he's been getting in the championship. And that's a, a wider thing that, you know, we'll have to try and figure out if and if and when we get back up. But, you know, he needs to be fed and boy, was he fed last night. And it was just wonderful to see all of those things sort of come into come into fruition. And I was, I was saying, I can't remember. He's he's definitely got a hat trick before, and I just can't remember for the life of me off the top of my head when he when he did loosen loosen in the season that we got promoted. There we go. Yeah, yeah, and it's just it's great because 
you know, 10 in 10, that is just prolific form. And if, you know, you keep on going like that, well, obviously we're going to have a record championship goal score. I mean, he's the, the comment, I was watching the goals back on Sky this morning. Some of the, uh, some of the hyperbole from the commentator was just quite, made me chuckle. But, you know, you do, you do wonder, you do try and think of a player who's been as important to us in, certainly in my time supporting Fulham as, as Mitrovic. He's just, he's just our talisman, isn't he? 22 goals for, and he scored almost half of them. Uh, it's just brilliant. There were classic Mitrovic goals as well last night, weren't they? Inside the six-yard box, first time, instinct. You know, that's that's his domain. That's where he lives. He comes alive. And Drew's absolutely right about the what he what he can offer when those chances are provided for him. Um, Tom Werbel, our, our, our one of our data guys at um, at the Athletic, said last night that he thinks Mitrovic would do Mitrovic would be a lot of fun in a Man City team. Um, yes, I saw this, um, which is a really interesting take and. I think we may have may have discussed it a bit last year, but the idea that he's very good in an, in an attacking team, he's very good when you know, chances are created for him, and his record suggests, at least at championship level anyway, that give him a good load of chances, he's going to take a sizable chunk of them. Um, and you know he, he does it for Serbia as well. Um, he fills his boots there with a phenomenal strike rate. Obviously, their all time leading goal scorer and. Um, it's such a, an interesting development, and you, you wonder if if Fulham can go up and Mitrovic gets another another stab at the Premier League, how much Silver's playing style, if they continue it, and, and by by all accounts, it seems like Silver wants a specific philosophy, this four three three way of playing that will be consistent. Um, then that that could really benefit, and maybe it can get the best out of him in in the Premier League. Um, what was also quite interesting last night was if some of the goals are all on the break. Um, Especially the, the the second one, that quick transition was was brilliant. Cross from Cabana, left foot on the turn, and then obviously Adoy's one, which is such a wonderful move from from left to right, like keeping possession at the back. I think it's Seri who swifts it into midfield. Wilson deckled over Reed, and Adoy is obviously making the yards on the right hand side, and it was it was really nice to watch. Um, and and the fact that Mitrovic can fit into that system is is quite encouraging. You know, last year it was this idea that counter attacking style didn't suit him. Maybe it was a pressing element. As there's more to it than just you're a counter-attacking team or you're not. Um, that probably was why it didn't, didn't fit in. But you, you do ask the question, you know, when you've got someone who can score those goals. It's, and in a team that struggle for goals, it's, you know, it's, it, you know it's, it's quite telling really. So, but yeah, I mean, he, he seems so happy. I mean, those comments recently in the pre-match programme when he was talking about what it's like, he's enjoying playing under Silva, has a really good relationship with him. And yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> he wouldn't want to play in an attacking team. I, I think it's, it's all going really well, and, and ten in ten is some record if you can sustain that. Absolutely, I think he's he's a an emotional player. I think we've always seen that, and back from when he was in his Newcastle days, where people saw that emotional side of him and and sort of thought that that was channeled into his discipline. What he is is he's a player who wears his heart on his sleeve, and he needs a manager. When he has a manager that he really believes in, you can see it. Produ- he produces on the pitch as well. Uh, you know, Slaviso obviously came in, fellow Serb, and there was that relationship there, and you can just you can feel it and see it under Silver as well. And lest we forget that, you know, in in May, we were saying, right, who goes, Parker or Mitrovic? And imagine, imagine if it was Mitrovic who went and we kept Parker. I mean, can you imagine? I'm just so pleased that the right man left, uh, left whether it was of his own accord or not. I'm, I'm just so pleased that we kept the right man because in modern day football, you get, you very rarely get uh, a servant like Mitrovic who treats us the way he has, performs the way he has, loves the clubby way he clearly does. Uh, you don't get it that often in, in modern football. And I think that we should cherish every game that we have with him. I saw he's now equaled uh, Louis Saha's scoring record 
uh, for the club in fewer games, I believe. I'd have to check that one out, but I saw that he's uh, obviously now hit 63. Um, he's he's climbing his way up the scoring charts. You know, I think he's got a long way to go before we hit some of the kind of like legends of of, of, the, of the club, you Gordon Davies and, and and things like that. But still, I, I, I it's it's maybe not beyond the realms of possibility for him one day to hit 100. It's still quite a way to go. But if you had a couple more seasons and if he has a particularly prolific one this year and then he doesn't have too far to go, then then you never know. And uh, I, I never thought I'd see a Fulham player hit 100 goals realistically. I remember when Dempsey got to 50 Premier League and that felt like a, a huge, huge milestone. Uh, and, and Peter, the second half... Um, Fulham really took their foot off the gas. Must have been one eye on on Saturday. You know that, that this is a tight turnaround from uh, 7:45 on Wednesday to 12:30 Saturday away from home. It's what the Jurgen Klopp's of the world always complain about in the Champions League. Is this particular little uh, scheduling um, trick that uh, that tends to be up Sky Sports' sleeve? Um, and you know he took off Wilson, he took off Mitrovic, and 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 realistically it was kind of fine, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, wrapping them up for for the weekend, and it was it, it was job done at that point. It was the thing about that Swansea team is that they play some nice patterns. They they press quite well, they push up the field quite well, but they don't have any bite once they get to the eighteen yard box. And I, I don't think Gazzaniga had to make a save. They had a really good chance for I think it was Flynn Downs really early in the second half, ball across the face, and he should really be hitting the target at the very least. Aside from that, I mean, there was a lot of pressure, but nothing that was overly concerning. What I would say is that it was, again, similar to, to Bristol City. You know? That's something we've seen a, a few times now where you had two very contrasting halves in terms of performance. Um, but that's perhaps a, a reality of uh, pressure and intensity. And I do, think, I do think the Swansea game was different because of the injury to Joe Bryan. I think that completely changed things um, in terms of the way Fulham wanted to play, as well as obviously the scoreline. But... It just meant they didn't carry the same attacking threat. It just wasn't as well balanced with with the with the three and, and Decker Reed on the left and, and Adoy on the right. It, it felt a bit overloaded in the middle with with Seri and, and and Reed, and that was almost a necessity without a a fullback on on the bench. Um, so on the one side, I'm not too concerned, and, and as I said earlier, the fact that they they ground out the win, it was pretty pretty comfortable all told. That's really really encouraging, and that that's quite important. It's weathering those moments that's key. Um, which they didn't really do against Bristol City, I, I don't think. Um, there were two. There were two very different halves. Even the second half against Bristol City was a bit. There were they, the hosts were allowed to build momentum. They're allowed to build their way back into the game, and and that that element and create chances too, which is which is important. Um, that second half of that, the creating chances, didn't necessarily happen with Swansea. It's just the one thing that is to watch is just how Fulham can can switch between the two. Uh, but you know no real criticisms of of Swansea because of the nature of the game and and, and the injury and 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 also how they managed it in the end um but obviously an interesting question about fullback now left back for the weekend well it was sizable wasn't it the difference that Fulham's kind of lack of control once Joe Bryan did go off and you know our, our squad does seem to be a bit of a cheat code but it's playing three at the back it really really does do well but when we kind of almost went like for like a little bit against Swansea with the kind of three slash five at the back we did relinquish an an awful lot of control I found it interesting for Swansea towards the end Matt Grimes was almost playing like a quarterback he was playing um, the deepest 
in defence. And I, I, I found that a particularly interesting tactical move. Look, if I was a Swansea fan watching that last night, I'd have actually been reasonably encouraged. I actually thought that their second half performance was very, very good. And they're clearly, a, you know, a, a team in transition under Russell Martin, who does seem to be quite a bright young manager who I reckon is probably going places. So I'd be surprised to see them in a relegation battle when they played the way they did. Some of the passing football were actually in the second half, although Fulham weren't really trying and had taken off the best players by this point was was particularly impressive. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then afterwards we're going to look back at Fulham's opening 10 games. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here and I'm joined by Peter Rutzler. Hello. And Drew Heatley. Hello. Peter, your article, which you stayed up till three in the morning submitting this one. Let's not say that you won't die for the art, um, which was about Fulham's uh, transition and, and the fact that they're a force to be reckoned with, particularly when we play the right kind of teams. If you want to read it, you can subscribe to The Athletic now by going to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod and you can get 33% off the regular subscription. Uh, and Peter, it, it talked about how that when Fulham do win the ball back and, and, and we and we move it fast that, that Fulham are a, a terrifying prospect I feel like Mitrovic also just suits this system so so well you know we, we talked about can he counter-attack can he not counter-attack and maybe he couldn't counter-attack in the way that Parker wanted to play but actually he is such an instinctive striker you look at all three of those goals last night their instinct, really, maybe the first is a little bit less, but the the, the second and the third particularly. Um, yeah, I thought it was a really, really interesting piece. But I guess the big question is, how can Fulham play against teams that aren't like Swansea, who want to do a low block and come to Craven Cottage and we have to grind it out? This type of play does not always work quite so well. No, no, it doesn't. But I think I think where it's interesting with Mitrovic is, is link play. And I think that's that's one of the encouraging elements in the fact that you do have a player with those target man qualities should really offer you that alternative, that other way of playing, that way of going through him. Um, Silver spoke yesterday when he was asked about his goals and that it wasn't just that, just the fact that he's scoring, it's everything else he does for the team. And it is about linking the play, linking the midfield, linking his two wide players in the way that we saw for those counter-attacks. Um, not always him who's doing the linking. I think it was Harry Wilson for one and uh, I think it was Deckard over Reed for for another. Uh, I think for for the one that he then missed when he placed it over the bar when they're swinging yes. from right to left. Um, so I think that's that's the beauty of of Mitrovic or even or even Muniz. I think Muniz also is a, is a similar mould in terms of his build. He's probably a bit more mobile, I think, than than, than Mitrovic from what we've seen. Um, so I I think there's room there. I think as you say, the interesting thing from these first ten games. Um, is the fact that Fulham would do well and score lots of goals when they score early. Uh, they do start when they do start fast, when they do take those early chances. Um, that's when they pick up results. And in the games in which they've dropped points in three of the four, obviously Middlesbrough on the opening day, slightly different, but uh, with Wilson scoring in the first half. But for the for the three against uh, Blackpool, Bristol City, Reading, uh, there were games in which Fulham didn't start particularly well in the game, didn't start particularly well, didn't take or either didn't take chances. Um, and then ultimately drop points. Um, so finding a way to to almost combat that and, and and to respond when you don't start games as quickly. Um, no team scored more goals in the first 15 minutes of matches. I don't think any team scored more goals in the first half of games than, than Fulham either. I think they scored 14. Um, it helps when you're a leading, <laughs> leading scoring team. Um, but what we've seen is in those games, Fulham are able to, to really exploit their opponents when those spaces open up. And they're so good at picking picking out where the gaps are, 
and exploiting them, the patterns of play are very clear. It's very obvious. It's they know it's almost it's so quick with the one touch passing that they almost they they've they've worked on this. They know where their their teammates are going to be, which which areas they're going to move into, and how they can sweep forward. As we saw, uh, two there were two fantastic counter attacks to highlight in the piece. They did just break superbly, and um, that and that that's the difference, you know. That I mean, the other side, of course, as you mentioned, Sammy is is that Swansea, Huddersfield, um, Birmingham, um, these games where where Fulham have done done pretty well. Stoke, they're teams that will play on the front foot. They're teams that will press and they will go after Fulham and they will provide those spaces. Fulham have shown them to be shown themselves to be very capable of breaking that. Um, it's it's when teams don't. Do that, and when they when Fulham have to unpick a lock a little bit more, um, but you know, as with anything, that that can be difficult. But I think from these first ten games, there's been some really encouraging signs, and I think you can you can pick out some discernible patterns in play. And we saw it last night against Swansea, um, and that's that's a really good basis from which to build. Yeah, um, and Drew, what have you made um, overall? Kind of a Fulham's start to the season, um, nearly a quarter way in. It's ten matches in, so I thought it was a good time to kind of like take stock a, a, a little bit and, and look at how we're going. I guess uh, the international break will be another chance to do that. I do actually think that Coventry game on Saturday might answer a few more questions as well. In terms of the league table, I'm starting now to wonder if West Brom and Bournemouth and Fulham might start making a bit of a mini league um, very soon. It looks like every team below us is capable of winning games and losing games. And I know that Fulham have been part of that as well, but I do just think that we're going to start to see those three teams um, break away. And the fact that we're just in that pack is absolutely fine. It's like a 10,000 meter runner being in the pack halfway through the race. Yeah, absolutely. I fully expect the top three to be as it is now, not necessarily in that order, hopefully not in the order that it is at the moment. I fully expect it to be that. Um, it's been an interesting 10 games. I think, um, you know, one of the things I've, I've, I've realized is, uh, well, which is, which is good for us, but also, you know, looking ahead of this season, which I think we should always be doing, uh, you know, we've got, we've got Reem and we've got Adoy back in performing well again. And you end up in that sort of situation where you're thinking, right, well, okay, do we give, do we give them a chance again? Obviously Reem's coming to the end of his career, but you know, Adoy five years in is still there. And I said to my brother, brother last night, you know, you'll look back in 10 years time and you say he was always there or thereabouts for, for half a decade. Um, and he just keeps, he keeps coming in and this is the level for them. But again, they're performing in a team that's up in the top, uh, but we need to look ahead and what's going to happen. I think uh, key as well will be in the middle of the park. I think we've, we've never had so much quality in the middle, I, you know, but it's not always, it's not always easy to get that balance right. As we've seen, you know, we've been rotating. We've had Seri and Reed last night, for example. We've had Onima in there. Whoever sits ahead of them is fairly, it's fairly obvious. We obviously had Fabio before he got injured, but it's it's getting that engine room blend right and getting getting uh, the balance right that that's going to be key to how we go on uh, going forward as well. So there's little bits like that. I mean, I've got a sort of nagging feeling that, you know, sometimes I get optimistic and I think, yeah, definitely automatics, but I have a nagging feeling that the top three might end up in the order that it is, which would be, you know, typically Fulham. Uh, you know, we've got, you know, we've got it in us to lose a couple of games. As you say, the teams below us, I think we'll lose a lot more, but um, we, we're certainly not infallible. And, uh, and, and I've, you know, I've yet to see a Fulham team that is infallible since uh, we got promoted back in, in, in uh, the beginning of the millennium under Jean Tigana. Um, so you're conditioned, I think. So maybe it's just the pessimist in me. 
Uh, yeah. Who knows? Definitely some Fulham conditioning in there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, couple of uh, questions in a moment, but I wanted to provide an update on the uh, the Tim Ream assist. It's been the running theme throughout the podcast. So I narrowed it down to a game in Preston in 2016, but I couldn't put my finger on the goal. I've now seen it and I do remember it. Tim Ream, it was not a header. It was a clearance from his own box, route one stuff, <laughs> which went over the heads of the Preston defence who were on the halfway line. Ross McCormack latched onto it, rounded the goal, keeper slotted it home Moussa Dembele then um, uh, made it 2-1 later in the game after Preston equalised this was during the pretty dark times of Slavisa Drew I think we'd not long before lost to Bristol City at home League One was a was a bit of a possibility I think we then went on a run later on in the season that, that stopped it happening but this was quite an important win actually so you know Tim Ream he doesn't assist very often, but when he does, it's always uh, it's always highly, highly valuable. One question here then from Jason, and uh, this is on a familiar topic, which is Cavalero. He says, hi, guys, considering Cav's constantly poor displays and the fans frustrations towards him, a question, would have we gotten more keeping AK-47 at the club? I know he wasn't consistent in himself, but I feel that he offers more of a goal threat than Cav. Plus, the fact he doesn't know what he is going to do means the next defenders really don't. For me, Cav is so predictably poor. Um, Drew, it was another kind of unmemorable display from Cav. He had that moment in the second half where I thought he was going to release Mooners and then he kind of just ran out to the touchline. Um, you know, it was another disappointing one again at Bristol City. Um, just the lack of composure. His confidence seems to be shot. I find it remarkable that he started so many games in the Premier League for us last year. I, I don't necessarily disagree with Jason that I don't think AK would do much worse. I also would temper that that I don't think he'd do that much better either. Yeah, I think um, the two substitutions that Silva made when he brought Cav on uh, as one of those substitutions later in the game yesterday, I think both of them, both were in terms of light for light replacements, probably weren't as weren't as good as the players coming off, which you know is 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 fine because we were in the position we were able to do that. But there was a distinct lack of quality from who was coming on and Cav being one of them. I was sat in the queue uh, for petrol this morning, and I was I was thinking about Cavalier actually, and I was uh, I got lost in a slightly <laughs> wow, as you do okay. <laughs> bleak enough as it is, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> and uh, and if you'll allow me a slightly laboured analogy, I was thinking he's he's like uh, one of those squeezy ketchup bottles that's towards the end of its life. You can you can shake it and shake it and shake it, and then occasionally you'll get a splurt like Huddersfield away. But most of the time you squeeze it and you're just getting air out and you're just getting nothing. And that is Cavalero in the Fulham shirt for me. Uh, you know, and what do you do with those ketchup bowls? If you care about the environment, you wash them up and you recycle them or you just chuck them in the bin. And I just think that we're at that point with Cav now where we're just getting air. We're not getting enough from him. We haven't for quite some time. And, you know, I groaned like the rest of the Hammersmith end when he came on last night because I just knew that, you know, there wasn't the quality there that, that we need if we want to... And I always say this, you know, if we're going to get promoted, but if we're going to look ahead to the season after, if we do go up, we need to uh, get up and stay up, which has obviously been our Achilles heel. So, yeah, he's surplus requirements every, any way you sort of look at it. But what can you do? You've got to play with the players that you've got at your disposal. And you talk about strength and depth, but when you, it's almost like a, it's almost like a, emperor's new clothes because the depth is is can be depth in bodies but when it's you know when it's players like Cavallari just consistently underperform is it is it really depth that you want so yeah I don't know would we back to the original question of would we keep AK 
much of a muchness for me. Uh, we've cleared one off. Let's clear the other one off and bring someone better in. We'll just mention about Cavan and, and Kamara because it's a really interesting topic and I can't, you know, I don't have any uh, catch-up analogies, unfortunately, <laughs> but I do. you do sort of worry about his confidence a little bit in that just, I think you were right, Sam, it does seem to be is a, is a lot more shot. I think there's a player there. I think technically there is a player there. We've seen that. It becomes very difficult when you're not playing every week, you're not getting that consistency. And I think we definitely saw that with Anthony Knockout um, in the Carabao Cup. He looks, looks completely off it at the moment. Um, I, all I'd say is I think that, I think, well, I think there's an element of that with, with Kamara in that Kamara is one of those players I think you had almost, you know, most of the attributes you'd want from a, in a, an effective forward or, or a wide forward. Um, but he, there were there were days where he just he just wouldn't 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 turn up. There'd be moments where you think, wow, how how can you how can there be this disparity from what you could potentially offer and from what you do? And I think that 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 was an issue, and I think that's the issue we're now seeing with Cavallaro, and that's why it's sort of looking at thinking, okay, well maybe maybe it is time for for some change there. Um, but I think concluding that, I think Niskins Cabano really does need to be starting games. And I know we talked about him earlier, but he's so effective. He's very good at being a player. He's, he's so good at this level at doing that. And his, and his, his crosses and delivery, his final fair end product has been consistent. I know he missed a one-on-one against Bristol City, but I think that, that question, if, if there was one on that side, is, should really be answered by now. I think he's very much should be that, that first choice. The only thing I can think for AK is that he did have a wicked cross on him. I think people forget this. Some of the goals that uh, Mitrovic scored in that 1920 season often came from a fantastic Kamara cross. And I, I guess I got reminded of this because it's the last time we played Swansea and he was the man that assisted that Mitrovic goal in the 93rd minute. And it's an unreal cross for Mitro. And that maybe is one thing that can be said for Kamara. And, and, and I, I genuinely can't remember the last time that Cavs stuck a decent cross in for, for someone like Mitrovic. But I think it is um, much for muchness. Um, Peter, next question from Carl Kent. He asks uh, how you think the future of Fulham's midfield will look like. Serian Reed potentially looks like a strong partnership going forward. You've almost got to imagine they are our kind of strongest pivot um, I know it doesn't exactly work like a pivot, but it's not it's not miles off. Um, he wonders if Chalobah might be rotated um, to play lower teams in the league. He said he did well against Birmingham. The skill he, he showed to win that penalty for Mitra was really impressive, but also in other games he struggled, particularly against um, Bristol City. So what do you see the, uh, the situation in midfield looking like going forward, assuming that we are safe from injuries, which has certainly not been the case this season? It's an interesting one. I don't think we've seen the best of Chalaba yet. Um, so I'm, I'm reluctant to cast too many judgments because one, he didn't have a really a preseason. I don't think he's played many minutes since about April time, May, May time. Yeah. Um, he had a knock against Bristol City, according to Marco Silva, which is why he's absent at the moment. Um, so I don't think he'd say play particularly well at Ashton Gate, particularly in that first half. I felt the midfield was quite static. Um, and that was one of the big problems and probably why Silva changed both Onamara and, and Chalaba. Um, but I, th- I think there's an age element when you're looking at someone like John, John Michelseri, who's 30. Um, we've seen his quality. And I think in that six role, he looks very, very good. And you, you know that he probably coped with the tempo of the Premier League and, 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 and controlling the ball in that area. Um, but then there's Harrison Reed. Um, he's also a six, according to Silver anyway, but um, has shown himself to be quite good in that eight role. I don't know if he had the best game against Swansea, but I still thought he was, was, was okay. I thought he did quite well. Um, he's still learning that position. I think that's quite clear in terms of positioning and how to get forward and 
you know, we were seeing him up by the penalty area, which is very, very unusual. Um, but I, I think as Drew outlined earlier, there, there's one element to that midfield triangle that seems pretty set, and that's the number ten. And um, now, of course, it depends on whether Fabio Cavalli is even here next year. He still hasn't signed a contract, so um, we'll have to see on that front. But when it comes to that position, I think it's less. Uh, less indecisive. I think if Silver can play a 10, he'll, he'll want to play someone who can who can step up like that. Um, but then in those two other positions, it's much more fluid. I think Josh Onomar has been very good. Um, again, we didn't really see him in the Premier League, so it's hard to make a judgment call on that and, and how and how well he fed because he had that injury. He wasn't registered in the first half of the season and then second half of the season didn't get a look in. So um, that would be very difficult. You've also got Anguissa, um, always doing very well already at, at Napoli. Yeah. Um, He's extended his contract, so you know he could be the uh, could have this unusual Fulham career of just sort of zigzagging between the Premier League and, and a European tour every other year. Um, so, without a doubt, it's a very strong position. I think that's the encouraging element. The options. I think Chalobah coming in has, has been a strong addition. I think Keener is still quite raw. I am I, not going to judge him just yet. I think don't think we've seen the best of him, um, but we, uh, we'll hope there's more to come from him. I think. Um, and he can provide some competition in that 10 area. Uh, but then the rest of the team is difficult. And I, I, I think the age thing is the only sort of decisive thing when it comes to someone like Seri. I, I think you'd want to, I think Reed has more room to grow. Um, I think there is certainly an element to him about becoming more well, more rounded in that midfield area. And technically, I think he can do that. Um, and then, yeah, with, with Chalibur, it's just seeing how, how good he can be. Because if we think back to when he started at Watford, uh, when he was well, from Chelsea and on those loan spells, but then when he was at Watford under Silver, that got him into the England setup. He was a, a really impressive player. He's a, he has a good presence in midfield. Technically, looks good as we saw against uh, Birmingham City. So there's a nice balance, uh, and I think it's probably one of the areas that's strongest equipped for the Premier League if Fulham can get there. Um, but yeah, that that those are the sort of main outlines. I've not really answered the question, I've realised. I mean, I've just sort of said why players are good. So, I'm sorry about that. Um, well, I mean, Marcus Silva, Marcus Silva ultimately is the man that has the answers, not, not you. But it I is think- true. It is true. But um, I feel like the, the, the options in there are good. I think there's some still some question marks about a couple in the Premier League, Chalaba, Onomar, um, Seri too. Um, but the, you you think that there, there, there is enough quality there to, to be able to transition at least. Yeah. Uh, when you step up. All right, we're going to take another break and then afterwards we're going to look ahead to Coventry on Saturday. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Drew and Peter. Let's look ahead then to Cov uh, Saturday, 12.30. Uh, not a big uh, amount of time for anyone to get ready for this. Uh, fans, players, managers. Um, it's a very, very quick turnaround. And and Drew, Fulham's record at Coventry is shocking. We haven't, we haven't won a game at Coventry since 1967. I mean, it's an absolute stinker of a run. It's, uh, <laughs> it's gone quite, over 50 years. 55 years. Can't believe it. Unbelievable. Hopefully, hopefully you can write that one. I mean, uh, you know, bloody, uh, you throw me completely there because I realise what you're doing. It's mad that we've never played them, certainly in my lifetime. Uh, it's it's one of those weird, weird quirks of the footballing world, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I actually did a bit of a deep dive into this. So yes, I am being facetious. Um, we last played Coventry in 1982 in the League Cup, uh, a two-legged uh, League Cup tie. I actually don't know what the outcome was that is because all I can see here is that it was 2-2 at Craven Cottage and then 0-0 uh, 
at Coventry City, it doesn't say who actually progressed from that, whether it was penalties away. If it's away goals, then it must be Coventry. Um, I probably could look up the answer to that, but you know, there's only so much of a deep dive I did. And then yeah, Fulham haven't faced Coventry since the 6th of April, 1968. Our last trip to Coventry, which is in November, 1967, um, was it was a 3-0 win um, at Coventry. And you just look at the, the two records and considering these clubs have played in all the divisions, you know, Fulham have played in all the divisions, so have Coventry. Fulham got relegated in that uh, 1967-68 season. Uh, Cov were in Division 1 all the way from then until 2001. Fulham were out of the top flight from 1968 until 2001, where Coventry got relegated from the Premiership. Fulham got promoted. And even when uh, Coventry finally got promoted back to the same division that Fulham were in the Championship... Fulham won the playoff final, so we didn't play them last season. And only now do we finally face Coventry in a league fixture. Um, George and I bumped into a Coventry fan as well on the train home from Birmingham. Um, they had just uh, beaten Cardiff, I think. And uh, he lives in Fulham. And he's lived in Fulham for 25 years. Huh. And every year he's thinking... Oh, no league trip to Fulham again. Maybe we'll get them in the cup. Maybe we'll get them in the cup. Maybe get them in the cup. Safe to say he's pretty excited about when Cov come to Croven Cottage later this season. Um, but Drew, um, on Saturday, we're marking this kind of historic first meeting against Coventry in a while uh, by remembering someone who is common ground between the two clubs, uh, and that is Jimmy Hill. Yeah, and I think it's so apt that we may, we, we're able to do that. Um Jimmy Hill was chairman of Fulham when I first started going in 1995. Now, albeit I was an eight-year-old, uh, so I didn't take too much interest in who was in the boardroom. Uh, I've heard so much since, uh, you know, as I'm starting, you know, you become an, a teenager and you start to really get to grips with the club and learn everything about it. And it's, you know, he was uh, he was chairman for from 87 to 97. So um, he had a decade run and, uh, you know, he... It, he really saved us from dark times with the uh, Fulham Park Rangers. He was sort of the figurehead around the opposition towards that. The fans gathered around him. He was quite a big name in football, as we all know. So having him there sort of beating that drum was was probably one of the main things that sort of saved us. Um, so that's been talked about quite a lot. Um, and obviously he played for us uh, even before that. Uh, you know, he wasn't a spectacular uh, player, but he did score five in one game. So Mitrovic better watch out for that. He could uh, he could try and better that this season if he carries on the way he's going. Um, but it's funny, you know, he's, he's an ideas man. He sort of introduced pundits into football more broadly. He abolished the maximum wage, which helped us keep Johnny Haynes way back in the 60s. He's done, he's done so much for the game and he's done it for Coventry as well. Even they only play in Sky Blue because of Jimmy Hill. So he's had, in, he's left an indelible mark on both clubs so it's actually it you couldn't be more apt that the first time that we've met in in god knows how many decades that we both sort of come together and pay tribute to a man who who has shaped both of our our histories and, and our futures yeah uh, well what's happening uh with this uh, jimmy hill day is if you're heading up to coventry uh it sounds like a good allocation going to coventry i will be forever cursing sky that i can't make this one you absolute bastards um but um if you can make it to Coventry, they're going to be uh, just paying respect at the Jimmy Hill statue outside the ground um, at 
midday. Uh, bring your scarves. Um, this is a joint venture between the uh, Fulham Supporters Trust and, and the counterparts, uh, the Sky Blue Trust. Uh, and they've just said they're encouraging supporters of both clubs to join together at the Jimmy Hill statue outside the ground at midday. So we together, as fans of clubs who have so rarely played each other, can mark the often high profile, sometimes controversial and always determined contribution that Jimmy Hill made to both clubs. Uh, so yeah, if you're heading up to Cov and you're there a little bit early and you, your train's early enough and you've managed to get your ticket, um, then then definitely head to the Jimmy Hill statue. Um, and Peter, on Coventry, I was going to say this is a really, really tough game and Coventry are in stunning form and how are we going to mastermind a victory at the Rico Arena? And the championship, everyone said this season it was going to be predictable. I mean, it might be in some ways, but what the hell? Luton hadn't won in six games and then thrashing five nil at Kenilworth Road. Um, I, I genuinely couldn't believe my eyes. Um, yeah. Really, really bizarre result. Yes, bizarre. Right? Really, really odd. I mean, what the hell happened there last night? I mean, we can see the scores coming in. It was four nil at half time, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. Real turn up for the books that. And as you say, Coventry has been in a, in a good run of form. I think they had one defeat in seven before that. Um, but then former Fulham man Elijah Adebayo turns up, nets a couple, and, and suddenly they're, they've been derailed a little bit. Um, they should still pose a challenge, and I'm sure they'll want to respond from that, from that result. You know, the results they picked up before then were, were pretty good. Beat Middlesbrough, beat Cardiff, beat Reading, and, and Mark Robbins has done a good job there. I mean, it's, they've, they've had some, some rough years um, in the past decade, and to get back out of League One, to get back into the second tier, stabilised last year, and, and clearly they're kicking on again. It shows they're actually heading in a positive direction, which is actually quite nice to see for a club with this with such a storied history, and of course with a, a partly a partly shared one too with with Fulham, as, as Drew was outlining. So um, I, it should be a tough game, all the same. I mean, from a Fulham perspective, these games are a must win. I don't think it's got the same sort of uh, gosh, this is going to be the first real test or big test kind of thing that maybe Stoke had in the season because of because of the result last night, which uh, shows the, the absurdity of the championship somewhat. But um, no, it should be, should be an important test for Fulham in, in, in another sense in that, you know, that Coventry should come up, come back out firing and their, their home record has been impressive. That's worth highlighting. They're very difficult to beat at the Rico. Yeah, it has been very impressive at the Rico. Um, it was a good uh, Not The Top 20 episode. Um, I mean, it's always a good Not The Top 20 episode. But on Monday's one, um, they opened the show um, talking about Coventry's win over Peterborough and gave it a good chunk of time talking about Coventry and the job that Mark Robbins has done. And, you know, their argument was that he's one of those managers that has done almost everything to deserve a big job like a premier league job maybe a lower league a lower level premier league job but almost they said they could never imagine it and and maybe this is his mild manner that he has they couldn't really put their finger on why they could never see mark robbins getting a big high profile job but that frankly he deserves it and, and your correction that they've got up front um it is a very dangerous player they do do the three at the back peter and and as we've seen um with fulham whenever we faced a team with three at the back we saw it with uh, we saw it with stoke and we saw it with you know bristol at times we opened them up pretty easily and then last night against swansea it is a formation that fulham do enjoy playing against and hopefully can get some joy yeah no absolutely it's those spaces in between the, the center halves and the wing backs that the Fulham really do like to to exploit and they've been at their best when they've done that. I think it's plays into their hands a little bit. It'll be interesting to see if if Robbins decides to rotate a little bit and, and change things up. But they've got a good hard working midfield in there. Um some good young players too. So it'll be interesting to see how 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 Fulham, how Fulham go about it. 
Yeah, indeed. Well, um, that'll do for the podcast today. Thank you very much for listening. If you're heading up to Cov on Saturday, then then have a great time. Um, I believe that it's going to be over 2,000 uh, Fulham fans um, heading up to the game, which is not surprising given that it's been um, such a long time, but I think particularly impressive considering they did move the, the kickoff time. There would have been plus one if it was a three o'clock kickoff. Thank you very much, Sky. And yeah, enjoy the trip if you are heading up. Last thing we need to do, Drew, is to name the podcast so what would you like to go for i'm going to go for match ball for metro uh, as it does what it says on the tin and i think that's uh, it's probably apt that we honor him with the name of the pod this week didn't want to go for grimes and punishment no because yeah, i think we need to move on don't we you know he had his chance bye felicia you're not here <laughs> he's not a dostoevsky fan <laughs> <laughs> nice stuff drew thank you very much for coming on today thank you very much you filled jack's boots with your very large feet yeah, he, he'll know his, uh, his place is under threat now in the Thursday club. It's always yeah. under threat. Always <laughs> under threat, mate. He's, he's, he's <laughs> flaky. Uh, and Peter Rutzer, thank you very much. No, thank you for having me as always. Sam. All right, have a great weekend. Enjoy Cov if you go and you whites. Yeah.